yeah, you want to be an Elon Musk, but don't benchmark yourself to Elon Musk, right? Like build methodically, thoughtfully through the process over time. Welcome back to another episode of Demo Day. Today, we'll be interviewing Alejandro, co-founder and general partner at Act One Ventures. Act One Ventures is an early stage venture capital firm focused on vertical SaaS, e-commerce infrastructure, and fintech. Over 70% of their portfolio companies are led by women, people of color, or LGBTQ+. Notable investments include Audit Board, NextBite, Narrative, Tapcart, and many, many more. On today's show, we'll be sharing helpful advice for first-generation immigrant entrepreneurs and differentiating between founders that are based in reality in today's funding environment and those that are a bit delusional. We'll also be revealing why money is the least valuable part of any venture deal. Without further ado, let's jump into Demo Day. Alejandro, thank you so much for joining us today on Demo Day. It's a pleasure to be here, man. So Alejandro, we always start the podcast off with a very similar question, which is around the why, right? Because you could be doing so many things with your time, you know, whether it's in diversity, whether it's in starting your own business again and being an entrepreneur, but you've obviously chosen to back founders and to spend your time learning about startups. What is it about being a VC? What is it about investing in startups that just lights you on fire? And, and why are you spending your time uh, doing this? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, thanks again, Sean, for having me on here. It's uh, I've been looking forward to coming through and, and doing this with you. What I realized is just like we're we're the people who make people's dreams come true, right? Like we have that ability to be able to find and back people in a stage of incredible risk where you know you're really taking a bet on the individuals and believing that their experiences and that our ability to help them and what they're trying to do with our networks and some of our experiences will produce something really magical, right? That will ultimately end up also encompassing the other areas that we are passionate about, which is like you mentioned, diversity, right? In terms of this industry, which as we all know, is very, very much lacking in all of that. And so I think when you're focusing on that, right? Like understanding the power that's entrusted in you as a manager of money, as somebody who can help build the future, you know, really, it really comes down to how do you how do you take that on? And for me, it's it's a it's the privilege of a lifetime, basically, right? To be able to do that. I mean, there's very few people in the world who have the opportunity to meet incredible builders all the time, much less be able to back them, right? And so to just be have an ability to be in the trenches with them and share some of those stories. It reminds me of still being like that founder, right? Like of my own startups. And obviously in many ways, I'm still the founder here. I co-founded here Act One Ventures. But now it's, it's I live my life in service to people, you know? And, and I really take that uh, very seriously. You know, I, I, I work for my LPs who entrust me with their capital and this belief that we can help find and fund some of the next great entrepreneurs that are building the future. And at the same time, for those founders, right? It's not good enough just to have the money. You got to be able to give it to the right founders and you can, you can help. And then beyond the money, right? In my view, that's actually the least important thing that they're getting from us, right? The check is just a means to help them execute, but really it's that discipline, it's that help and support and the networks that come. And so just as I think of all of that from where I started, you know, again, my entrepreneurial journey back in 2009 as a co-founder of a company, a couple companies, and then to where we are here. So much 
so much has changed in LA, right? And beyond. But when, when I think about LA, it's changed so much in terms of the amount of people that are here, the amount of capital that are here. But opportunity still feels like it's it's challenging, right? Talent is there, but the opportunities are still challenging because we're not seeing a lot of different types of founders still getting funded, irrespective of the efforts that we've seen over the last couple of years. So I, I kind of take a very holistic view of that, right? And so, you know, yeah, I could go back and start another company. And, you know, there it's not to say that that hasn't crossed my mind at certain points, but it's not, I won't have the kind of impact as I will have here in the ability to, because I know that the people that I'm backing will have their impact. And so being able to really spread that out, right, in terms of the people that I that I know are building, number one, they're going to make great wealth for us, their, their investors themselves and everyone else who's a part of that. But what they do with that and how they look at that, I, I, I'm very mindful of those things as well. So just those values alignment to help create the better future, that, that's what's incredible about being uh, an investor and, and particularly running our own fund. Now, for, you know, many people know Act One or have heard of Act One, know you, know Michael Silton and and the the fund that you guys have built together. But m- maybe people don't necessarily know where sort of the backstory came from. And, yeah. you know, can you tell us a little bit more? Where'd you grow up? Yeah. What was kind of like the early upbringing and, um, you know, what brought you, if not native here to Los Angeles, <clears throat> maybe bring us through like your, uh, your early journey? I'm a first gen Mexican-American, so very much coming from, you know, parents who have that tried and true immigrant story, right? My uh, my parents immigrated from Mexico when they were young. You know, my, my father had dropped out of, I think, seventh grade. My mom, equally, seventh grade, seventh or eighth grade, I don't remember, out of necessity to work. So, you know, they did that. They worked. My mother was born in Mazatlan, uh, Sinaloa. My dad was born in Cuernavaca, but mostly grew up in TJ. So, you know, they found their way to TJ, and then they, you know, immigrated to the United States, and, you know, they met. They met in LA, had a child, had my brother there, had me in San Diego to be closer to family back in close to the border. So I grew up a border town kid, which which I always think of as a very different distinction because a lot of folks who are, you know, half this and half that American, whatever, right? You still have such a connection and affinity back to your home country, your roots, where you're from. But very few people are living next to the actual border of where those roots come from. Totally. You're living this duality life because you can just take a quick car ride down and go there and take care of things like medicine, food or whatever, family, and then you get on the car ride and you're back over here. So it's like you go down there and you're reminded that you're not Mexican enough for Mexico because you're really American. And then obviously, you know, in, in these prior years, just that sentiment of who's American and who's what and all yeah. that, right? It's it's a different kind of duality that that you do you certainly do feel as a border town kid, but and Tijuana today is not Tijuana from twelve to twenty years ago either. It was a mu- it's much more developed today, yes. and I could imagine that you know that feeling of going across the border back. It, it's almost like two completely different yeah. worlds. I mean, you know, it's kind of like where I grew up in Chula Vista. You know, like it it it's changed so much. Development has happened, so I mean, which is good, right? That's all a net positive overall. Um, definitely Tijuana has, has come out of like that really dark era in the early uh, 2000s. Yeah. There's always those challenges there because it's a big, it's like the biggest port crossing, you know, here uh, for the United States. And I think actually one of the biggest ones globally, not number one, number two. Uh, but there's still some of those challenges, right? But, but when you see how that place has developed, there's a tech ecosystem there too now, right? In fact, many companies moved to San Diego to be able to have operations in Tijuana. That's both for development, manufacturing, et cetera. So it, it has all of what you would 
want to see to be able to become a vibrant ecosystem. And I and my bet is over time, it's going to become more synonymous with what's happening in the San Diego tech ecosystem, which is still rising in and of itself. Um, but to digress back to to where I was at, you know, I'm a kid, public school kid my whole life, you know, shitty public schools, I should say, <laughs> uh, you know, got my way into UCLA. And, and that was really because I had a like a US history teacher who was like had gone there and talked about how wonderful it was and what it was like in the summer times. And he took us on a trip. Uh, I remember like very vividly, like in the springtime to, to the campus, I was like, I don't know, like 16 years old at the time. And I remember thinking, wow, like there were people sunbathing in, in front of Rice totally. Hall. They were, they were throwing a Frisbee with their dog. I was just like, I cannot believe this is like, this exists. So, you know, the academics, the environment was, I was kind of sold and I didn't go anywhere else, right? That was just kind of like what I knew and, yeah. and didn't really go anywhere else. I got to UCLA, had a great time, had my struggle, figured my way through, graduated 07 and then pretty crappy timing because then a year later, global financial crisis had happened. Just to take a, a little bit of a step back, when it comes to like where your drive comes from or, or like what pushed you to go to not just UCLA, but pursue business and venture. And like, there's obviously like a fire burning within. And when you think about like your parents upbringing, dropping out of school at seventh grade, like were they the ones that really put into your head of like how important school and education is? Did you discover that yourself or through your brother? What was like the relationship yeah. you had with that drive towards education, knowing your parents didn't have that? I think you just kind of know when you're young, right? When you you feel different, like you, you know, you're kind of a little bit more special, not to make yourself like that you're better than anybody, but you, you're seeing things and you're feeling things in a different way. And some of that can come from what you experience in your home environment. So mm. like, yeah, you know, like I'd see the money issues that were, that were at home and I'd see sometimes how my mother would find that extremely difficult and would cry until you get a little bit older and you start to understand, oh, this is where this is coming from. And, and, you know, just like the kind of money you make and how the, the cyclical nature of that and most people living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, that's mm -hmm. really how we lived really in our household. And so there was an element of both. I didn't want to see my mom like go through yeah. that. And I didn't like the feeling of what that would do. And I, you know, I learned really quickly at a young age that, you know, these are limiting factors to your success or your health, your family and everything else. So I just, I wanted to do good. And I just loved school. <laughs> I'm not going to front. I really enjoyed school, just being there, being surrounded by people. I, I like had a natural affinity and energy to it. I was not like, I'm smart, right? But mm -hmm. I wasn't like, you know, setting the curve, getting straight A's and all of that. I was like pretty much straight A's, but I get to be in there, see mm -hmm. in there sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think that was reflective of part of sort of where I was coming from, which is I didn't have that support, right? There were no tutors. There were, you know, nothing like that. I just really had to put in, I had to put in like two, three times the work that someone who would get it right away, but I would still get the answer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like that, you weren't going to let anyone outwork you because of- That's my big thing. Uh -huh, that's uh -huh. my big thing, right? Like I will outwork basically anybody. Mm. Like I know that it might not be the smartest in the room, but I will outwork anybody mm. in the room. And I think when you're able to harness that power and apply that to academics, then it's really just a matter of understanding your pace and having patience and 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 getting through the process. So I developed a, an ability to have a process mindset of how I attack things. Didn't mean I didn't deviate or it, it wasn't a struggle here and there, but I was very process driven. Like I knew 
this was because of this, and that was going to lead to this, and this was going to lead to this. Yeah. Right? But when you're coming up from this kind of low income environment, you you don't really know much past this idea of what college is. I yeah. Mean, you're not surrounded by people who are even sick. if you envision it, like you, it's hard to like well, because you haven't been through well, it's that. Like, how, do, how do you envision something that you've never heard? Of, exactly. Right. Right. Like, that you've never been exposed to, and that whole notion of you can't see what you can't be is is pretty real. I mean, you can, but the sooner you see that the earlier you understand that these are types of jobs and industries that work and you find what your passions are. And, you know, there's so many kids that, you know, from low income communities where, you know, we, we see jobs that are more tailored around what that is like, right? So like a lot of social workers, you'll see a lot of kids from like public schools want to be social workers and nothing wrong with that. It's great, but you can't build generational wealth mm -hmm, like that, right? Mm -hmm. And so the idea is how do we stop, sort of break these generational curses and that's through the power of making money and entrepreneurship and I education mean, and learning like past yeah, that. Right. Yeah. And, right. And, and Latinos, you know, we're, we start more businesses than anybody else. I mean, we're so entrepreneurial driven. They're just not tech businesses, mm -hmm. generally speaking. Mm -hmm. Right. But like they're small mom and pop shops that are happening all the time. And so, you know, my whole thing is I grew up around that got exposed to another level of a world that I didn't know existed at UCLA. And then my curiosity just kind of sent me down different paths of like, you know, I, I want that. Like, I don't want to have just a regular house and a couple cars. Like I'm not satisfied with a, this is where I'm going to be for the next 50 years of my life. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but like I knew in me mm -hmm. that there was a burning desire for something bigger. I didn't know what, but I knew something bigger was out there. And so getting to UCLA was really my view of, you know, becoming a part of Los Angeles, seeing the big metropolis here. Obviously I have family roots that, you know, that, that extend from here from, you know, my parents and all of that. And so, you know, just getting here, it, it, it exposed me to a different kind of world where I already had some notions of what I liked. Like I grew up playing instruments. I loved like records. My oldest, oldest brother was a house DJ in Chicago in the nineties. He'd come through with crates Whoa. of records. I was really exposed to incredible cultural things that were instilled in me. And so as I got older and, and I understood like, oh, you can make great money in this business and also have a passion, spend my time through college interning at record in the record industry. Like that's what I wanted to do. You know, I, I wanted to go work on like the A&R side, which is part business, part, part development, right. In terms of the creative aspect. Uh, and it ended up working out, you know, that's the thing, you know, I, I spent three years and, you know, had a job lined up and, and unfortunately, you know, the person who had offered me the job, then, you know, did a really, really shady move that, you know, caused me to like back, back off from, oh, from wow. the job offer. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was unprofessional galore. So those are the things that happen in life, right? But as a 22 year old kid from low income, when there's no safety net, you feel like the world is over because you spend all this time kind of preparing for what you think is going to be it and like life, right? Totally. Something comes wrong and it just happens. And all of a sudden you're kind of having to deal with crisis mode and, it's a different kind of crisis mode than when you're kind of just growing up like paycheck to paycheck because now you're out in the world, you're responsible for your things. And, you know, I wasn't trying to be dependent on my parents any further than I was. And I still had some necessity, but the difference for me was every time I needed something from them, it hurt me. Mm -hmm, like it truly mm -hmm. fucking hurt me to ask for help because I knew that asking my dad for help would put him in a, in a hard position, but he would always do it for me, right? I, yeah. didn't even know, I didn't even know how he would do it, but he would always figure out a way to do it. And so those work ethics, that ability to like understand what matters and how to go and figure out something, I had that in my blood. 
when did you start to get like this entrepreneurial bug? Because there's a difference between wanting to yep. rise through the ranks of universal music and starting your own business and being like, screw it, I'm going to go for it. What, what were the early days and like what was going through your head before you started your first yeah, business? Yeah, I didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial family that wasn't like people building businesses all the time around me. It, it just wasn't like that. So I didn't have that exposure. Uh, I had a money-making mindset, mm. right? That's what I had is like, I'm not here just to continue to hang out with Latinos. I could have just done that back at home. I didn't need to come to UCLA for that. You know, it was about exposing myself to broader groups and really trying to understand what the heck is out there, mm -hmm. what the heck moves, and how do I make a lot of money by doing that, right? So trying to find my way, like understood really quickly that going through the school system in and of itself wasn't going to be for me, right? It's just, I wasn't a kid at a private school. I wasn't setting the curve without going to class. It was just another level there. And I was okay with that mm -hmm. because I, my goal wasn't to be an academic. I never in my mind was like, oh, I want to go get three more degrees after this. And, and no, I was like, I'm going to spend four years here and figure out how I'm going to make a lot of money mm -hmm. and be on a path to make incredible money. But it wasn't about starting a business at first. It was going to be getting into the business side of the music industry, which really that's that's about who you know, right? Yeah. Not, not what you know. And so interned all my time, basically all my time through school, doing all of that. And that's what the exposure was of what could be possible. Mm -hmm. So the elements of entrepreneurship and building were in me, Yeah, but it wasn't until I met uh, a French entrepreneur who had lived in the Bay Area for a few years working on these things called startups. And I, I didn't have the startup exposure at all. So you know, when we when we got to talking late 2008, um, you know, he was telling me about what he had done and how startups were this. And I was so fascinated, right? Because for me, it was about building. You know, I was at a point in time where, you know, I worked in the finance world for about a year and then lost my job because of the global financial crisis. But that structure of like corporate structure wasn't for me. Yeah, you, know? you like, knew that wasn't yeah, it. Yeah, it just like what I didn't like is like there's no ability to like have group conversations to talk through what we think is happening and whatnot. It's more just like you do this and that's all you do and you don't speak and just shut up, you mm. know? And I was like, that's, that's not the kind of environment that I want to be in. Right. Like I thrive around creativity. I thrive around people who are passionate and that's almost like you got to like tame yourself and, and, you know, sort of lower your expectations yeah. of any of that, because then it could get, it starts to feel like too much for other people who aren't down with that, right? Totally. That's why they're there for that reason, right? Right. Because they don't want to be around that. So, which is fine. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. And so- Some people resonate towards it. Yeah. Others don't. Yeah. You know, it's it's yeah. totally, totally aligned. Yeah. And, and I think like a, a, a big part about that is like risk, right? Mm -hmm. Like how do you, how do you, how do you understand risk? You know, how do you mitigate risk? What is it that you come from where you feel you can or can't do something, broad term goals, short term goals, you know, a family to go back home to, or, or, you know, family to go back home to with like a, you know, extra house or whatever. Or yeah. Not. I mean, all these factors really play into it. And, 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 you know, particularly a lot for like, you know, Latinos, right. Where if you're a first gen, even like a second gen, I mean, you feel the weight of your entire family's history on your shoulders, you know, like everything that they've been through to get to a point where you could become an American, where you could be the person to really change the dynamics of opportunity that they didn't have, like anybody coming to this mm -hmm, country, right? Mm -hmm. Like literally everybody who came to this country with this idea of there's a better life out there. And so we're going to go look for it. Um, I, I think that's a big part of it. And so when I see a lot of, you know, young Latinos, you know, it, it makes sense why they go straight into a corporate world or want to go work for a bank or whatever, right? Because that like, quote unquote, traditional path is a level of security. Yeah. And I think when you get on that path, it's so it can be so good and lucrative over time that it's like really hard to walk away from that. So 
for me, I didn't like graduate and go work at Goldman Sachs or McKinsey, right? Like I, that was just not- You weren't my, optimizing yeah, for security. I wasn't, I wasn't making six figures out of, out, of, out, of, out of college at 22 years old, right? Where I was like, there's no way I'm gonna leave this. It just, it wasn't mm-hmm. like that. And so for me, it was a little bit different. Once the financial crisis had happened, I had lost my job. My mom went through stage three cancer. She ended up eating it. It was just like a whole, everything that I thought was supposed to be happening because i was told that is no longer here like that is gone that that idea that world is gone and i'm like trying to think how the freak do i start to build that up again Uh, and that's where i met this guy right and so just understanding like oh so you're saying we could build a product and have ownership over that product build the right team around us that will help us execute on those strategies raise the capital that we need through the ability to tell a story as to why now and how and, and everything and then be in control of our own destiny. I was like, yeah, sign me the fuck mm-hmm, up. You know, mm-hmm. like there was like not a singular doubt in my mind that that's something that appealed to me. Now it was just about timing, mm-hmm. right? Like how do I make sure that my timing is right? And at that time, like my mom was my number one priority. So when when it went into remission and she beat it, like literally the next day I got going. This was like wow. very, like super early, like 2009. And, you know, just seeing her go through that and beat it. Uh, you know, she's a devout Catholic woman and like she didn't, the pain pills that they prescribed her for like the the pain through the radiation therapy, she didn't take a single one. She was like so devout in her faith. You know, God bless my mom that like she wow. used that to beat it. Yeah, so I was like, in my mind, I was like, you're crazy for not taking that. But I saw that sort of happen and I'm like, well, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. You know, like I'm not fighting for my life. I'm, I'm fighting for an opportunity and worst case scenario, it doesn't work out. And guess what? I'm back to where exactly the fuck I'm mm-hmm. at right now, mm-hmm. right? So ain't nothing wrong with that. And I went all in and I, I think the the complete ignorance that I had to how it actually works in practice, uh, networks, the real value of these kinds of networks, right? I worked in music, not, not in not in venture or tech. So just like the values networks, how do you find these networks, access to capital? What is that? How do you become well, quote unquote venture investable and all these other things? It was a super blessing in disguise. Because if I really would have known all of that, I wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. And so jumped in blindly with this guy. I, you know, I knew more about music than him and he knew more about tech startups than I did. And so we put two and two together and we got going. And then, you know, that, that obviously started a journey where I'm now, you know, 14, some 14, 15 years in deep working in tech. It's always in the grind. Like, yeah, you see the glory and you see all of that, but there's always a near, like a near death experience, if not two for every company or every fucking project. It just, it goes through that. And, you know, the guy that I had worked for the, at my last stop, he, um, he was a person who had discovered Lincoln Park, right? So, like this is when Lincoln Park they're still a great global band, but this is when they were like at the top of their peak, you know? So I was working in this dude's house and he had like platinum plaques all around. And, you know, he talked to me how he had produced, written and drummed on some of the tracks. And, you know, for him, it was, he uses personal money to like really go in on this. He's the one who went out and, and found Chester, RIP Chester, and, you know, put him in and like brought them together. But he like almost went completely broke trying to convince people to, to take this on. And then it, it just takes one, right? And then obviously Warner Brothers came through and Lincoln Park became Lincoln Park. And so like when I heard stuff like that, I'm like, that's how it happens, right? That's that's how it happens. Yeah, you, you hope it's a straight line. I hoped that it was going to all work out right after college. The reality is that's just not how shit goes, you know? And I think what young people face today, you know, certainly the ones over the last 10 years, but but even more, more so acutely over the last like five years, I would say, is they're used to a world that is a blip, 
in terms of how the world generally moves. You know, Explain a little bit more. Yeah, we, I mean, we don't see up and to the right as like an everyday movement, you know, like the amount of money, the uh, ease of which he was getting it, like the cost of capital was basically nothing, you know, overvalued. People who had no experience doing absolutely anything were, you know, getting money to build, you know, enterprise software companies or you know, what have you. And so you just don't, you don't see, there's a stage of risk, but I think we went like, redefined what the word risk was because there was no care of risk. You know, there was just this notion of money's everywhere, opportunities everywhere. There's so much FOMO because of this whole thing happening that there's so much that has changed very rapidly. And, you know, but at the end of the day, entrepreneurship and that ability to build and, and finding great opportunities is, is, is always going to be there. In fact, it's greater than ever now. It's just how much risk can somebody or should somebody take on because, you can't operate with the mindset that it, anything that you saw in the last prior years, you're going to be the beneficiary of. It's the total opposite. You're not going to be the beneficiary of anything that you saw growing up. You're not going to be the beneficiary of that. So it's like, how do you map a world where you think the world's one way, then the world's not that way? And so this is a little bit when I go back and I think about it, it's kind of like what I went through, right? It's like, I thought the world was one way. Then I came out and the world is totally different. Yeah. Well, you have a really unique perspective in that you grew up through duality, right? Yep. So it's like you already have kind of trained yourself for like, yeah, on one side of the border, it's all nice and rosy. Go two miles south or four miles south and it can be different in just the blink of an eye or my mom could be healthy one day and then not the next. And so you've kind of like gained some of that scar tissue over time to like prep you for moments like this. Yeah. Yeah. Let me pause you for a second here and kind of go inward around like advice, something that resonated with me a lot because I, you know, I personally can't, I can empathize, but I haven't been through this concept of like the weight on your shoulders of generations, right? Like it's it's Latino, Asian, Indian, you know, African, like every immigrant that's come in um, that is first or second or third has that weight. And so um, I know like technology has changed a lot. Times have changed a lot, but like you have a, a nephew that walks into your office or you have someone's little brother, you know, and they have that weight on their shoulders. What sort of advice are you giving them now about college, about starting businesses early? Because there's so many things that you could do today. You couldn't, even if you're in music, you could it's. And so when, when you have these younger people coming to you and saying, you know, Hey, uncle Alejandro, what should I do? Like, what's your advice? How would you help them navigate in this world knowing that they don't, they come from nothing and there's nothing but opportunity, but they're weighed down by this fear or that need for security. What, what's your advice? I got a 11 year old nephew who's uh, going through that right now. And, um, you know, so firsthand experience with my little nephew, Adrian, you know, this is a generation of children who grew up with like, the world connected at their fingertips from the moment they were born. Totally. Can navigate through most hardware products, get to, you know, get through the internet, iPad, phone, what have you, better than their parents, even frankly, who are also part of this. No, we weren't, we weren't walking around with it, right? Like I'm old enough that I actually saw payphones, uh, you know, so, uh, and, you know, we, we use them, but I was, you know, whatever, right? So the, so the point we is- had like, dial up, okay? We had dial-up, okay? I had dial-up too, motherfucker. I had dial-up. We were over here like, get off the phone. I'm like, no, I'm, yeah. on, I'm on this like AOL chat room. Who knows what LimeWire is? Let's go. <laughs> an hour, no, an hour, a day to download a song. Mm-hmm. But no, as you see, right, exactly. like, those are big technological breakthroughs then. And obviously here now, it's, it's, it's a whole nother ballgame. So the way I approached it with him is, you know, I've told him, look, no matter what, 
what you do, technology is going to be a part of your life. It already is, and it will continue to be. And in my opinion, there's three languages in the world that are going to run everything. One is English, two is Spanish, and three is coding. So you need to learn all three of these languages because they're going to be imperative to your ultimate success and give you the optionality mm. that you're going to want to have as you figure out what you want to do. But my older brother, you know, didn't go to college. He's not in the position that I'm in. And so my nephew at a young, kind of like what I went through, right? At a young age has understood the challenges that he sees with his father uh, and his mother. And so, you know, I don't go into like, I don't, I don't talk about like, you know, why or how he's figuring that out on his own, but I help him understand the North star, the, the North star, the means of what you can do today to actually put yourself in that position. And so like about a month ago, I bought him a laptop, you know, and like, that's a, obviously a high level of privilege. You would buy somebody a laptop, but like, I would literally tell anybody who's listening to this, if you got kids, if you don't got money like that, like put a savings account together and buy them a laptop. You're going to change their life forever. Mm. My little nephew within one month, like learned how to type without looking at the keyboard. He types faster than I do. Uh, and he started learning how to code, like straight up, just didn't even tell him a website. He figured it out. He's over here learning how to code. And under, I mean, it's just, it's remarkable. The learning pace is a lot faster than what we were going through at the time. And so- Because it's not textbooks anymore. There's no. tutorials and videos and interactive yeah. quizzes and coding academies and like the feedback loops yeah. for learning are so much different. Yeah, and and their ability to ingest that and like be able to process it and move quickly, it, it's, it's, it's on a faster rate. You yeah. Know? It's, on, they're all, it's almost like semiconductors in and of itself, like chips, like each generation is an improvement of a chip and they're processing faster and faster. And so you can literally be making really good money while you're like a middle teenager, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, I was just thinking as you were saying that, I'm like, wow, like imagine us going and applying for a job out of college versus your nephew who's like, I've been coding for 10 years already. Well, you this know? is this is part of being a VC and part of my long term hopes is that, you know, as I as I become you know extremely wealthy, you know, knock on wood. And I'm able to do things. It's 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 not just about the money, but it's the exposure to the knowledge at at the earliest stages where that really matters, right? Yeah. And so like that notion of you know saving up to get a laptop. You know, aside from probably getting braces, that's probably the next most important thing you yeah. can do, right? I mean, because it's just it's going to be so instrumental to their optionality, and I think that's one thing that we you know kids who come from this kind of background when you're feeling the weight on your shoulders you don't understand optionality right you you just have no clue what that is you kind of pigeonhole yourself in one idea because that's all you've seen and you think that's it and you go and then sometimes it works but most of the time it doesn't yeah it's like how i look at venture capital right and sort of where we're at today you know we, we started with a 20 million dollar fund one a 23 million dollar second fund that was suboptimal for sort of what we were doing leading seed rounds and then it became really suboptimal during the pandemic right and so here when we're out you know when we whenever we do our next fund it, it, it's going to be bigger right because the dynamics have changed and, and what you want to have is optionality so you want to be in a position in this world where you can say i can go this way or this way i can take a step back and sort of process what's happening and then you know, be it calculated and go forward where, you know, when you're, when you're limited by a certain whatever, right. Whenever you have limiting factors, those are usually the walls that are preventing you yeah. from scaling. And as a young man or woman or, or you know, non-binary or whatever you are, you want to try to eliminate those walls as much as possible. And some of those walls are, are just metaphorical walls. Like totally in your, in your mind, that right? can be opened by right. a screen yes. that like you can just open up and learn that. And oh, you got, wow. It, you got the world at your fingertips, mm -hmm. right? It's, you know, there's obviously caution and there's a dangerous side to the internet within all of that. And so there needs to be a level of precaution. But with my nephew, here's like, here's the structure that I set up. I told him, 
you know, cause he comes, he comes to my house after school cause it's, it's closer to where I live. He waits for his father to get off work. And so I told him, look, you're not going to watch TV in here and you're not going to be on your grandma's phone in here, like hanging around. Like th those days are done. Like hope you enjoyed your summer, but that's not it. You're going to bring your laptop and you're going to sit in this particular chair where we can see your screen and on your, and you're going to improve and you do your homework and you improve on yourself. Uh, and if you don't, that's cool. Then you'll be here and you can play outside and get exercise, but you're not going to look at screens mm -hmm. just to pass the mm -hmm. time. Right. Mm -hmm. I very instilled in him. Like life is about discipline. And where you're at today, it starts. The more you see and understand your actions or inactions and how they impact you and what you're trying to do, you're telling me you want to be successful. You're telling me you want to take care of your dad. That's great. Well, these are the little steps that you need to do to put yourself in that position. And I was like, I mean, guess what? You're in a position where you can make the kind of money that I'm making now that took me fucking forever, right? I'm 37 years old now. By the time you're a teenager, you know, like really the, the possibilities are so incredibly out there being able to develop your mind and learn how to learn in an academic setting is is more important than sort of what you're learning if you will mm -hmm. because those social skills and that ability to interact is important and a lot of times you know the people that you meet on these campuses become friends and you know people that are become important to you over time totally so, so there's there's a lot of value in that but like you're not necessarily dependent on your career through college if you come in with a different mindset yeah. and, and you start preparing earlier. And so that- And have the tools, like you're saying, like like saving, you know, I, I think two of the things that are kind of resonating with me are, you know, and, and it changes for everyone and everyone's in different positions, but, you know, buying that bicycle versus that computer, buying, like everyone has that thing they're yeah. saving up for, but uh, there's just nothing more important than this vehicle nothing. for right now, right? Nothing, nothing, dude. It, it should be like a common, like it should be like a government subsidized mm -hmm. kind of thing, you know, where it's yeah. like every kid gets to have one of these because- we're lagging behind in, in the world in terms of our next generation of incredible, like highly skilled talent. We have a lot of challenges that are coming in the future. And so there's different paths to everyone's life, how you're, how you're finding your way in. It's not what you think it has to be. It can be a different way, but there's some fundamentals that you still need to go through in order to put yourself in that position. And, and one of them is keeping up with the changing times mm -hmm. and the changing times means having like having that exposure to how to use the power of the internet for good and for your learning advancement before somebody tells you this is what you need to do. Mm -hmm. I like, you know, at a school or a figure at a college like that. Now, you know, going back to your post-grad years, you had, you know, several, not several, you had a few entrepreneurial mm -hmm. experiences, one that you've already mentioned at Live Entertainment Network, uh, and then you went on to co-found Unique Apps. Um, I want to transition us into Act One in your world yeah. of venture, but, you know, maybe briefly bring us through the journey of Unique Apps sure. in particular, what that was like for you being a true, you know, CEO, founder yeah. of a business, and maybe what some of the things you've taken away from no, that yeah. experience that you've now like brought into your world totally. of Act One. Totally. So that company, uh, B2B messaging for the enterprise, this was like circa 2012, -ish. 13, 2013. late 2012, yeah, 13. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Something like that. Um, I was offered money, uh, investment money from a group that was based in Singapore. One of these gentlemen was a, like his organization was a client of my uh, first company's technology. And, you know, again, I was like 25 years old, whatever I was, you know, 25 and a half, getting an opportunity to build something while we were like the first company was running out of cash. It was going down and, you know, pitch deck, literally the one second person I had shown this pitch deck to. And he was like, this is like, I want to actually put money together and put a group and, but I'd ask you to move out here. And I was like, yeah, why not? It's just like, I didn't think twice about it. You know, uh -huh. I was like, I'm not married. 
no girlfriend, no kids, still not married, no girlfriend, <laughs> no kids. Eligible Just, bachelor over here. There you go. So, so some things haven't changed, uh, but I, I hopefully they will change at some point soon. Um, you know, again, just going going into it. So went off and did that and spent a little under four years of my life living between Singapore and Jakarta, where I had the development center and then coming back to LA. I became a member of the USA Venture Capital Fund, which is how I met Michael, which is for me to build better understand how to build my network of these kinds of tech venture mm-hmm. folks through a community that I had, which was, you know, being being a Bruin. Uh, and which was- is another reason, by the way, to go to college, right? Because like you didn't know going into it that someday it would lead to you being part of an alumni venture network. But like those are the sorts of literally, things that tie everyone together. Everything good of where I'm at in my life, absolutely everything ties back to that university because it's such a transformational age in your life. And no, it was not going to be the greatest time of your life. It, like everyone loves to say that. It's just, that's bullshit. Like that is not the greatest time of your life. The greatest time of your life is when you figure it out and you're making money. And you're empowered to be able to help people that you feel you want to help. Mm -hmm. And you can do that without financial stress and where you don't have debt and you understand credit cards and you understand like these sort of structures that are really important to have under control to have a great life in America. And so, you know, I think just being able to navigate that is is critical and again like ucla really was, was a, a linchpin for me for all of that but yeah look i spent i spent a little under four years and had a good time you know we were we, we were scaling but to be honest the one of the one of the mistakes that i made and, and you know I'm, I'm gonna say this like truthfully but and I, I love my old business partner but like i shouldn't have done the second business with the same business partner you're learning as you're going and a big part of it is like managerial skills and like how you handle all of that and it, and it just got to a point where managing the business was actually not as hard as managing like the executive team like the founder like, yeah, like those dynamics. The dynamics the dynamics and so like again these are all lessons that i've learned trial by fire, scar tissues that I understand acutely well when I meet in founders and assess and look at all of these little things, right? You know, I, I, you know, because of that, when I, when I resigned and moved back permanently, I just, I was tired of, I was like, gotta, mm-hmm. I gotta go back home. I gotta do my next thing and I gotta be closer to, to my family and mm-hmm. I wanna go back to LA, right? Where when I started in 09, like literally the term Silicon Beach wasn't even coined yet when I started. And then it came out like some months later. So like where it was at that point, you know, this was now like, late 2014, early 2015, it was starting to grow. There was a movement. There was more talent coming in. People were graduating and staying. It, it That was missing. You need that. And so like, I, in some ways, I sort of felt like FOMO and like jealous. And mm-hmm. like, I, I needed that and didn't have that. So it's time to go back to that where my roots are. Um, and you know, that that was obviously, you know, there's nothing easy about that kind of transition out or whatever, but you know. Did can- you feel like, like, I mean, for me, at least with Coefficient Labs, like it's just so a part of my identity, like my friends, my family, like friends of friends, you know, and like, did it feel like, uh, you know, was it an easy transition for you to let go of? uh uh When you start a company and you run that company and you're literally responsible for payroll, right? There's a difference between being an operator and like being the person who signs the checks for payroll. Totally. And, and like not to say that early early employees are not critical, they're absolutely critical, but there is a distinction between people who handle payroll and it's on them to pay these other people because they depend on you and and the rest. And so just knowing that, that resp- that's like the height of responsibility when you're running a company, right? Is like taking care of your people and all of that. 100%. So yeah, like, you know, you you build a family, you know, you you want to treat everybody good. You, you want the success and sometimes that really works and sometimes it doesn't. Mm. I don't know a single founder and, and whoever says they don't have it is lying that doesn't suffer from trauma. Like that isn't carrying a bag of trauma 
with them and mm. pretending like it's all good. And that's where I was for seven years. I pushed all that shit down, just worked, you know, didn't take vacations. Like really just like as many bad things were happening, I was like, cool. Like, I'm just going to keep on going. And that ca- that shit catches up to you, mm-hmm. right? Whether you like it or not, it's going to catch up to you. And if it catches up to you and you're not ready for it, it'll come out in a really negative mm-hmm. way. And so like, I could feel myself starting to crack from just all of that time. And and I'm like, I was like, you need a reset. I'm not going to get eaten alive and become somebody else that I'm not. Like there's a core part of me. And like, I felt like I was losing some of that semblance. Mm-hmm. So it was like time to go, right? Like this business is not worth more than my life. Mm-hmm. Looking out for myself. I'm not going to front, right? At that point, I was finally looking out for myself. And so maybe this is a good place to like bring it back to, you know, I think unfortunately with the way the economy is right now, like there's a lot of teams that are going through that. So the pressure has gotten too much. Like things are starting to unwind. People are having to get let go, you know? And so what, uh, what sort of advice do you have for people like right now? Like as things are for some people listening at the most pressure they've ever felt or, you know, um, how, how did you navigate that? And then how did you kind of come back to the table fresh again? Yeah. What we're going through now is, is, is the, uh, now next phase of an unprecedented rally. And to think, if you're being any company to think that you're going to be the beneficiary of anything that happened over the last few years, you're already starting off with delusion and your best job is to get rid of all of the delusion you can and be as sober as you possibly can. And that's a really jagged pill to swallow. And yeah, I get it. Very sobering pill. Very sober and, and jagged, right? That, that motherfucker goes down really hard, but you know what? You got to take the pill. Everything is about opportunity. And so it's like, you're trying to meet people and each time is an opportunity. And if you're going in with a sense of delusion, I'm telling you right now, every investor is just going to not be interested. Mm-hmm. In it. just, it's not working mm-hmm. anymore, right? Like there is a big distinction. And what are some of the delusions, sorry to interrupt, but what no, are no. some of the delusions that like you're starting to see in people yeah. that you want to almost point out to those newer founders to be like, guys, like this is, or gals, like this is a, yeah. the wrong way of thinking. What are some well, of the- I, I just think the risk- uh, to upside ratio at these earliest stages, uh, you know, through ownership targets, they're, they're just like, they are not based on reality anymore, you know? Meaning that they're looking for a certain amount of money with, with very little. Well, I mean, uh-huh. every, like like the, the kinds of multiples that we saw are gone. Like they're not going to be back for a long time, right? So if you're raising, you know, 15 posts and you have nothing done, like, why? Like we literally right now don't know what the exit environment is going to be like in X amount of years. So how do I really calculate how I return, not just the money, but like multiples on my money, if I'm paying up that high when the risk value is so high, mm-hmm. right? So like, there's just this like big distinction that didn't matter over these last few years because big checks were coming in, doing very little diligence and doing everything that you shouldn't do when you run a business was like par for the course. And so now we're dealing with a group of people that like are holding on to that. They want to desperately hold on to this idea that like they can, they can, there's only a little bit more living again. And it's just, it, it doesn't serve you to do that. Right. Again, it's, it's, there's a limited amount of time. Things seemingly look like they're going to get worse. And so how do you put yourself in the position to, you know, get to capital, get success is by being sober. You know, when I meet entrepreneurs that are coming in super sober, like I, it's, it's a different level of, not that I don't respect the others, but it's a different assessment. It's like, you actually get it, right? Like mm-hmm. you're understanding that what you want to build is value over a long period of time. We're talking like eight, nine, 10 years, the real trajectory of what companies actually need to go through. It doesn't happen 
within a year or two years and you know you, you you likely won't be able to become a millionaire at your series a round when you haven't delivered anything of value to your mm-hmm. to your existing shareholders like that's probably not going to be around anymore and like yeah that's a tough pill to swallow when you were seeing your friends being able to become millionaires in sort of situations like that and good for them right like you don't hate the player you, you know you you hate the game and that's what the game was but the game has changed and you got to understand like you're a player in a different game and if you're bringing your if you're bringing your tool set for that prior game I mean, that's cool. Yeah. But the people who are out there running, like helping to deploy this capital, they're not. Now, something I've been curious of is like the game that you're playing, because Act One, I mean, Act One, you're at the very beginning, yeah. right? You're at the seed round, or, or yep. would you even consider it pre seed yep. now? And so, being one of the very first checks in, you have the longest feedback loops, yeah. right? It takes so long for you to know if you've won the game that you're playing as a you know early stage investor. Yeah. So how do you navigate that in your world right now? Like like you know as you're playing this because basically you have inputs coming in, founders' ideas, what they're looking for, but then you've got to be the one that's like the player on the field deciding how to disperse the money. How do you kind of differentiate between? the sober, realistic founders, the bullshitters, the, you know, like, have you had to change your own uh, views um, and navigate it differently over the last couple of years? Any great investor, you, your, your mindset needs to be fluid in terms of sort of what's happening, right? You, you, you can't, you can't control timing and you can't control the broader macroeconomic environment, but what you're seeing on the ground and sort of your volume of what you see and being able to draw distinctions from that, like you can do. Mm. And I think that's just like, it's, it's critical to be honest with yourself and everyone's stage strategy and stage and check size to ownership and all of that is different. Right. So there's no like one, you know, sort of advice that that's like, you could spread it ac- across the room, but, but for us in particular, you know, we used to do pitches, you know, look, we, we only do B2B software, right? Uh-huh, it's like, uh-huh. we, you got to be able to actually build product of value to another company that has a problem today. Not like you're trying to build a, a building for a product that may come in the future. That's not, that's not us, right? Like right. generally speaking, that's not us. It's like, I see the problem. You understand the problem. You can talk and verify about the problem. Uh, you know, all of these things, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. like real business software. It's wild. I was just having this conversation at how like startups are just like, thousands of decisions yeah you know what i mean like like at every little thing someone is just making little decisions and you add them all up and and that's kind of how the cookies fall within you know some context of luck now you you briefly talked about act one in that like you only invest in b2b software startups give us a little bit more on just like the the quote-unquote structure like what's the average what would an average check size be what are the right sorts of verticals like for people that are listening in that are like oh i've never heard of act one before Mm -hmm. why would they want to work or or what is it about act one that's you know kind of specialized for them we focus on sort of really primarily three core areas uh vertical SaaS, uh e-commerce infrastructure and fintech that's really the, the bread and butter we'll do marketplaces b2b marketplaces from time to time um you know for us my, both my partner and I are former founders, right? Like we sort of live and breathe and think about everything in our lives as as former founders. We've seen a lot. And so we, we've been very helpful to the founders that we back just from giving them exposure to our experiences, our stories and our, you know, our LPs network. And we, we only do what we know how to like actually help build, mm-hmm. you know? And so 
I always look at it as every deal I'm doing, the check has to be the least valuable part of the deal. Raising capital doesn't solve your problems. It compounds them. And if you don't have the right advisors, mentors, investors who have practical experience in building the kind of company or working within the kind of industry you're looking to solve or dominate, you're kind of more gauging on your own and going where the wind takes you. And that's not a winning strategy for startups. We're all about just backing founders, you know, coming out of an industry, right? Five to 10 years experience, like really understand the pain point of what they're trying to solve because they've lived it, they breathed it. You know, they were bashing their heads against the wall, trying to figure out a way to better do this in a more collaborative cloud-based type of environment. And so they're like, now nah, we're out. We're going to go mm. do this better because like there's inefficiencies here that can really change the game in terms of operational dynamics. And so that's, that's what we focus on. It's like the driving force of our thesis is a founder market fit. Um, not to say folks that haven't been in an industry can't figure it out, but again, these are just stages of risk. And you know, what, what we know is that, uh, seed pre-seed companies have no credibility, generally speaking, Yeah. right? Like what you can help yourself with is if the founders have credibility in their industry and what they're trying to do. And if they could talk to a buyer and jam out with them, almost like they're like been best friends for a long time working at cubicle next to each other, because I can speak your language. I know what's happening. I know what you're dealing with. You can vent to me a little bit, bro. Cause mm -hmm, yeah, like I've, mm -hmm. I've, I've been in those We're shoes in too. the trenches yeah. together. And like, that's why I created this thing. Right. And yeah. so like, you're, you're really able to help them understand that you as an individual and as a team are the people to bet on. And so, yeah, let me go pay money to this like risky unknown startup because no one else is doing this or we've tried it, but they don't have the actual knowledge. Like, these individuals do yeah. so that's, that's it makes me it makes me think of like your investment in tap part <laughs> where like eric was like mobile first yeah. studios building apps for companies over and over and just like saw that you know that problem and you know even though he's an engineer and a dev uh he or you know he can just go and talk the talk to anyone because he's been in that world before yeah. yeah you said something a couple minutes ago that i'd like to just like double click on because i think it's really interesting i think for a lot of people if you were to say money is not going to solve your problem it's going to compound your problem they would be like what the hell are you talking about mm -hmm. that's why i'm raising money because i have a mm -hmm. problem what is the aha moment that they need to hear from you? What is compounding your problem? Like, does that make sense? Like, yeah. what are they not seeing when you say that? That then they're like, oh, okay, I, I see what he means by that. It is incredibly rare that whatever I've seen come into pitch that that particular product is exactly what gets sent to the promise. And in fact, you know, there's really only been you know, there's a couple companies, but like one of our companies called Audit Board. I mean, that's you know, th these two gentlemen create a company called SoxHub, like literally all it was going to be is Sarbanes, Oxy compliance, cloud-based, modern UI, UX. That's it, right? And so we were like, yeah, like that's an actual niche of a pain point in the most valuable companies on the planet that are public or the ones that are planning to go public. And, you know, so we we focus in on that, right? Where, again, let's say you you raise capital, but you don't know exactly where you're building or you're kind of iterating and testing. That's the natural cycle of startups. And I'm never upset when somebody needs to pivot once or twice. That's just how it goes, right? It could take more time. But do you know how to manage cash in that environment? Because the, ex the excitement of a founder when they get the money is, let's go spend this money. Or it's like almost the opposite, right? Like, yeah, I have this money, but I don't want to spend it now, right? Like, I want to be very calculated as to, like, where I'm going to get an ROI for this particular role. And, you know. You're saying that if you're not, like, if you're on a boat moving towards a destination and you are going, like, you're trying to get to Spain, but you're on target to go to, like, America. Right. 
if you have more money, you're going to get to America even faster. Like you're going to go off the beaten path even faster. And so making sure that you have the right direction before spending the money. Yeah. Well, typically when you have more money, you think that you can spend faster because like there'll be more money available for you. Right. And so you want to, you're trying to grow quicker by spending a little bit more and in the idea that your plan is going to work out. And that, that's, that's the, that's the challenge, right? Is like those plans don't work out like that. Like the sales cycles take longer. They're getting even longer now, right? Your ability to be able, like turnover, like you were talking to some dudes like, or woman who's interested in buying your product. They're probably not going to be there in the next, you know, six months or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how, how do you manage that while there's burn going on? There's people that you have to continue to pay to fill these pipelines to get this all ready. And, you know, you don't know if, it, you know, you don't know if it's going to work out for, for usually many months ahead. And so, you know, look, this is where, you know, the investing in a core founding team that in and of themselves, if they needed to, could continue to move the company forward is, is like really what I'm, mm-hmm. what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Right. Like doesn't mean that I don't want the rest around it, but I'm betting on the people to figure out what's best as the world moves and as it's starting to continue to change. And so there is a level of, you, you know, you gotta be a little bit more seasoned and a little bit more mature to really handle someone else's money. And I, and I just think that was not a core part of consideration over the last few years. For us it was, but for, for the broader ecosystem, I don't think that was part of the core consideration. Cause again, there's like someone else is, you're just going to pass the bag and someone else is going to give them more money and that gives them more runway. But you know, here we are. How much of what you just said is the inexperience or as you put it, like excitement to spend money from the founders or the startups versus the VCs being like, we need to spend money. We need to grow. Um, I've heard on both sides that, you know, in some cases you have VCs that like they need to spend them. They want to spend the money as fast as possible yeah. because if it's not working, let's fucking get them out of yeah. here and like move on. And I've, I've heard different sides from your perspective. Yeah. What, you know, where is the problem? Is it more on the VCs? VCs? See, here's the difference between founders and VCs. VCs have a portfolio of companies, right? They can tell you go, grow, 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 grow and spend all your money because if you go off the cliff, well, that sucks. <laughs> but here's these other companies where I said, you're a founder, you have one company. Mm-hmm. You have one of one. And so you could be getting those inputs, but is that really the right thing that should be done for your company where there's not a, another portfolio for you to I see what on? you're saying, yeah. And so, you know, sometimes those incentives aren't aligned. And we saw that, right? We saw founders drink that Kool-Aid over the last decade just burn. And as long as you can keep growing, it doesn't even matter if you never make money in the history of your life, because we're all going to get rich. Just don't be the last the one with the bag. Just yeah. Don't be the last one holding the bag. And that is not how to build companies of value. That is wrong. It is a total opposite of how people should be thinking and operating. You shouldn't want to have to spend 400% on marketing against revenue to get no revenue through the door still, right? Like you're never going to have positive unit economics. So there's fundamentals and we 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 moved away from what it takes to build anything in life. Like imagine, imagine me telling you as an 18 year old, hey, I want you to go work at this hedge fund and I want you to go develop models for quantum whatever. Like you're not ready to do that. Even if you may have an ability to start to do that, the likelihood that you're doing that at the level of which people who have yeah. built models over time to do that is not gonna be the same. So you're not just competing with yourself, you're competing with other people out there, many of whom may have those skill sets and that patience that you don't have, that you're not driving, right? So there's these things that you're not really necessarily thinking about because yeah. you're living in the weeds all day long, 
and part of what we do is like we make sure that when we have our monthly cadence calls, uh, meetings with our with our our founders, like the newest ones in the batches, we give them you know sort of this idea of like metrics to like be thoughtful of, to take a step back and look at things from thirty five thousand feet because you start to understand trends that are moving and and you you now can be the kind of founder where. Any founder, if you're starting a company, you break through walls. You know how to fucking go. You know how to break through walls. But at some point, you want to be able to say, you know what? I don't have to exert this energy to go to break this wall. I can go around. I can go over. I can go under. Like, there's no need for me to thinking of that mindset of I need to crush everything because now you may hurt yourself on that path or you may, your company may go down by keeping that mentality, right? So there's that little bit of a, you know, the game is changing. How are you looking, right? But if you're that innovator who can come up with a different game, one, you got to really be able to do that really well and better than others. And, you know, that's Steph Curry type of stuff. And I mean, as much as we all may think that we're Steph Curry, we ain't Steph Curry. (laughs) Most people like to benchmark themselves against the outliers. And that's like the total opposite of what you should do when you analyze data. There's a reason they're called outliers is because they don't follow the patterns. And so the Zuckerbergs, the Elon Musk, you know, these like Titans and gods that have become this and that, they come from incredible levels of, of wealth and incredible levels of privilege. And most people don't have that. So to even think, again, it's like I said on those podcasts, it's like, if you start the first 10 minutes telling me how you had everything made for you, like everything else you have to see on your path, I can't really use those, Mm -hmm. right? Because my mindset and how I've been built is different. Mm -hmm. And so there's just certain things that are not gonna translate. Well, that's startups, you know? Like, yeah, you wanna be an Elon Musk, but don't benchmark yourself to Elon Musk, right? Like build methodically, thoughtfully, through the process over time. And, you know, you, I think of everything in decades, right? Everything in life is a 10 year period, whether you like it or not. Yeah. 10 years, I was like building and like doing things. And I felt like, God, I was learning so much and moving, but I wasn't having the ultimate outcome that I wanted. And then like you working so hard and you're, you're evolving and you're improving. And then one day you kind of realize, oh shit, like I made it, you know, like there isn't like some proverbial celebration moment of like, this is the day. You know, th- there's obviously milestones, but you you see that and then, you know, you look back over time and you're like, wow, like these things in years one and two, these key decisions help lead me to this, to this, to this, to this, right? And like a lot of the times you have no idea that that's happening. So it's like, like anything great, it takes you a long time to figure out whether you're doing the right moves or not. So having your conviction, operating with a sense of humility, uh, operating with um, uh, with caution, but not fear. Right. Like th- there, there's like a fine line between there. And I think the people who know how to walk that line on the cautionary side are going to be the biggest winners of this new change that we're having. And the ones who are walking within fear or living with the the notion of, yes, it is hard to get money. There's no question. Yes, there are. It, it is unfair. There's inequalities. There is no question. I can't solve that today and neither can they. So we can either spend our time online berating the people who do that which is one which is one strategy but you know what does that gain us in the mm. what does that gain you in the long haul? yeah because when you're in the game what you want to do is become a real player in the game you can't trash the game to try to become a big player in the game you can but i i think of everything as like risk to reward how do you mitigate risk to put yourself in the best position to do these things and you know trying to be trying to navigate that uh while 
you know, really, you know, I mean, it's hard, right? I, I, I say these things with someone's sense of an ease because I know it comes across like that, but I have been in those trenches. I'm not somebody who's telling you these things because I read it in a book or I heard it in business school or because I worked at some big company that had every resource on the planet and like, oh yeah, no, I can tell you these things. It's not that. Like, you I've left been, it on the field. I've been in those shoes. Mm. I've been in those trenches. I've sweat. I've shared the blood. I've had incredibly traumatic things that have gone on that still haunt me to this day. So I'm saying it from a cautionary perspective of like, the way I live my life to my founders is I do, I try to do everything for them and be everything for them that I needed when I was in their shoes and I didn't have access to. Right. And so that's why you find, you need to find those key people, those mentors, those advisors. That's why I say money doesn't solve your problems. It compounds them if you don't have those folks. Cause if you've never done this before, there's a good chance that what you're going to see coming up is going to continue to like give you these blank stares of what you should do. And the best thing to do is not move quickly to go and reunite with your people that you trust, that you know have a good interest for you and your life and your company uh, and, and hold those people tightly. Because again, I think the people who are methodical and you know survive in advance will, will, will have an opportunity to really create what they're trying to create and scale at what they're trying to scale. But these are now gonna be longer timelines and people just need to accept that. I think you're totally right. Um, what are you most excited about? What What's the thing? It could be family, you know, your nephew, family, work, funds, VC, economy. Like, what is the thing right now that's got you most excited about the future? And, and you know, what, what brings some joy to you? is critical and it sucks because it reminds me of the whole like pretending like everything is cool when you're a founder and it's not and like how do you deal with those dynamics well that's why it's important to meet the right kind of investors where you can expose yourself like that and for me you know i re i figured it out after my first year it was like i i the story that i told you right like this is not a typical venture story you would not hear this you know being the same thing in uh in in probably like a typical 2020 bc interview and that's what makes me different. And that's why the founders that I've met that we've been able to back have chosen us, right? Because they feel like they're dealing with a human who's like, actually can articulate a story of struggle, of hardship, of not having money, of not having all this and finding a way to get it done. Yeah, I got scars and I expose them because I'm not embarrassed by them. You know, like this is America. This is a culture of, you know, you try and you're building and everyone's got to go through some kind of rough patch of some sort, whether that starts at an early age or later to become the ultimate success. And so most people try to hide those because it's easier and better to just like, you know, glorify the good. 
but you know, I'm I'm not opposed to to being that, and that that is uh, a superpower that certain individuals have, both founders and investors, and and it and it serves the founders really well to find investors that can line up with with those same sort of values, right? Because you're they're gonna it doesn't mean they're gonna give you the money, but they're gonna be able to understand you better than probably the majority of folks out here. Where again, now that it's happening, the natural inclination is gonna to be to pull back and go back to the old sort of ways. That's that's what people always do, right? It's like, oh, we can't be risky anymore and go do these risky investments in like women and people of color, which is bullshit, right? We need to just go back to the, you know, to the old ways. And, you know, there's always a cover for something. And so again, you need to be mindful of that and prepare for that. And learning how to deal with those challenges and, and compartmentalizing them is a really tough skill. But the best, the best entrepreneurs do that better than anybody else. Alejandro, final question. Uh, I always love asking it. Uh, if there was one person on this earth that you just want to send a little love to or dab them up or someone that's made a big impact that maybe you haven't had the chance just to throw a name, could be family, could be friends, could be teachers. Is there, a, is there any one person that uh, on today's Demo Day podcast, you just want to let them know that they made a, a real big impact on your life? I'll give you two. Um, uh, one of them is my uh, an old communication studies professor at UCLA. Her name is Marty Gregory. Um, she made all the difference in my life. She basically adopted me at UCLA and, and she became my mother away from my mother and really guided me, got me, you know, pr practically every internship that, you know, I did in the music industry. And you know, there was even a point when, you know, I was, when that thing happened with the ex uh, job I got offered and that person was unprofessional, like she gave me money to pay my rent. You know what I mean? Just like a level of care that you, you know, you, you, you can't forget because it's those little things that help you realize that you got here because of that. So wow. I love her with all my heart and she'll always be, um, you know, a second mother to me. And then my pop passed away at the top of April. So just him, you know, just miss him and his, uh, his, um, his work ethic like really like was drilled in me so just miss my dad yeah you know, love him. you're doing great man i'm really happy to have you on the show alejandro thank you so much for making the big trip here uh sending so much love your way man you're the, you're awesome and this was a great episode so thank you for everything yeah. really appreciate you thanks homie. all right everyone i'm sean goldfaden here at coefficient labs this is demo day peace guys yeah.